Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Drew Marchesani, and I have the privilege of serving as the Youth and Kids Director here at Candeo, which means that typically when I, uh, when I stand in front of people to teach, it's uh, teenagers that are listening. Uh, and as some of you know more than others, uh, teenagers have about a little bit better of an, uh, of an attention span than like a small puppy. So if we get to uh, about 20 minutes and I need like a break or a bathroom run, that just, that's my excuse, all right? The teenagers are kind of uh, rubbing off on me. But uh, in all seriousness, I'm really excited to open up God's word with you today. Um, this church has been a, a blessing to, to me and my family. And so I'm hopeful and anticipate that this morning is a blessing to you uh, as we open God's word and read from it together. Um, it, it was about uh, two or three weeks ago that I, I got a text to my phone from a number that I didn't have saved that said $850 was charged to your card at Apple. And uh, I hadn't made a purchase at Apple in a long time. So this person was notifying me that my card was stolen, which is very serious. Um, but they were uh, kind enough to end their text with not you, click the link below. And thank goodness they made it so easy. You know, I just wanted to recover my card, make sure that it was all safe. And so I clicked the link and was immediately taken to what appeared to be the first website ever created. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't around, I, didn't, I, I don't really know what AOL internet is. And so, and I realized that when I say that, that makes a lot of you feel really old. Never used it, but my only explanation for the quality of this website was that it had to have been created using AOL internet. Like that's, that's it, it was this ancient website. And um, it took me about three seconds to have a level of discernment and swipe, close the tab and deleted the text <laughs> because it was a scam, obviously. But I also know people who have lost money and lots of money because of a a scam text or a scam email or a scam phone call that was obviously a little bit better uh, put together than the one that I I received. Um, And and if you talk to anybody who has been kind of a victim of that, they will tell you that being able to discern between what's true and what's false is so important. (laughs) And it could have massive consequences. Like being able to discern whether or not to put your credit card information into a website is massively important. That discernment is also precisely what John is trying to to, to get us to see this morning as we continue uh, our letter of 1 John uh, going into chapter four. But instead of discerning between like fake texts and sketchy websites, what we'll see is that there is a level of spiritual discernment that every person in this room must have when it comes to the messages that we listen to, the content that we consume and the things that we believe. This obviously is especially relevant for like us today, 2023 sitting in this room uh, where you have like YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all social medias that uh, it's not just like there's an abundance of content, but it's like oversaturated with content that anybody who wants to can throw out their opinion for the entire world to see. We are bombarded by messages every single hour of our lives And because of that, being a discerning person, particularly a spiritually discerning person, is of the highest importance and it could have massive consequences. So John writes this in chapter four, verse one. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And, and before we kind of dive into to the, the, the middle of the, this passage, we got to clarify what is meant when the word spirit comes up. Because uh, seven times in six verses, John uses that word spirit to describe something that he's trying to communicate. And so we have to clarify what that is. And what John is simply recognizing is that anybody who speaks with authority about spiritual things has a spirit or, um, or a source from which their claims are coming. So when John writes, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, what he essentially is saying is don't believe everything you hear. You cannot believe everything that you hear. And listen, this is no matter the popularity or influence of the person speaking or the charisma or enticement in which they speak. Your charge this morning is to discern whether, whether the message, the, the spirit that's being spoken is true or false. That is our charge this morning to be spiritually discerning people. And uh, the first thing that we need to understand, if we're gonna be people that have spiritual discernment is simply the reality that false spirits exist, right? And that might feel like a, a trivial, maybe unnecessary observation, but I think it's an important one and one that we have to start out at because kind of in, in the culture that we find ourselves in, truth and what is true has seemed to become more relative. And, and the line between what's real and what's fake has become blurred. But in the midst of that, in the midst of our culture, the Bible cuts through and says, not every spirit is a good one. There is a spirit of truth and there is a spirit of deception and you need to know which one is which. To, to kind of keep peeling the layers back a little bit, um, in our world, which was, which was created and designed by God, there exists an enemy whose sole goal throughout all his existence is to draw as many people away from God as possible. The Bible calls that individual Satan. And this passage refers to his message as the spirit of the Antichrist. Now in a, in a competition or, or a battle or something of the sort, uh, it's a massive advantage to know the strategy of the enemy, right? It's a huge advantage to know the strategy of the, of the opposition, what they're gonna do, how they're gonna operate before you enter into this battle. And these verses actually expose Satan's primary strategy to draw you away from God. That's what these verses are gonna do. So when, when you think about the strategy of the enemy, what might come to mind could, could be something like, uh, like demonic possession, like you might see in like a horror film um, or a demonic activity that you may have read about even in the, the pages of scripture as Jesus is walking on the earth. And, and while some of those things absolutely still do happen in our world, what if the primary way that the enemy works isn't through demonic possession or oppression? What if the primary way that the enemy works is through deception? That's actually what John's pointing out in verses one through three, that the primary strategy of the enemy is to get you to believe what is false. 
And this, uh, this actually isn't a new strategy for him. Like it's not something that once Jesus had risen from the grave, victorious over hell, he was like, gosh, I gotta come up with a new strategy. No, this has actually been something that he's been doing since the very beginning of humanity, all right? So let me, let me show you what I mean. We're gonna go back to, to the very first few pages of scripture um, in the Garden of Eden, where God created humans, male and female. He, he told them to work the ground, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. And then after all that has been designed, in comes this character only referred to as the serpent, right? And, and the serpent, his sole goal seems to be uh, drawing Adam and Eve away from the good design that God, their creator had given them originally. And if he was, when he was trying to do that, what was his strategy? He, he doesn't attempt to like control their will and force them by scare tactics into doing exactly as he wants. He, he doesn't even like strong arm them by using threatening or menacing or harsh words in order to like let them know how serious he is. He simply just tries to deceive them and says this in, in Genesis 3.1, says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? But Eve said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. So Eve squashes the first attempt at deception that the enemy throws their way, but he's obviously not gonna be done. And his second attempt to draw them away from the design of God is very similar from the first. Deception number two he says, no, you will not die. In fact, God knows that when you open it, when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that deception, that simple deception led to the fall of humanity, of drawing Adam and Eve away from the good design of God and the introduction of sin into the world. So, so from the beginning, from the origin, from the first few pages of scripture, we see that the language of the enemy is deception. More often than not, he will try and work his way into your life, not by force, not by brute strength, but by whispering in your ear, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? He couldn't have, right? John in verse one reminds us that Satan's strategy from the beginning has not changed one bit. And that many false prophets have gone out into the world to try and get you to believe what is false, just as he did back in the garden. And all that is a kind of necessary and helpful backdrop into the rest of our verses this morning where John is gonna help us know how to actually test the spirits how to actually test the spirits, how, how to discern between what's true and what's false. And I don't know about you, but uh, when I first read that phrase, test the spirits, the, the first thing that came into my mind was, uh, was pawn shops. I don't know if you guys have seen the TV shows. Um, I think it's called Pawn Shop. Um, and in it, the, there's this, you know, people that, you know, for example, a guy from Virginia will like dig up a ring in his backyard and he'll bring it to this pawn shop, put it on the counter and be like, 
I think this is George Washington's first wedding ring from his marriage. I need $50,000 for it. And because he makes this claim, the guy behind the counter is like, all right, here we go again. And goes through this entire testing process where the first thing that he has to do is call like this George Washington expert. You know, they give this whole history lesson, but like, who was George Washington married to? When was he married? And if that kind of checks out, then they got to call like another person who can test like the validity of the gold in the ring to see if the age of the ring matches up with the dates that this person is claiming that he found it. And then if all of that works, then they got to call this financial person. And they're like, hey, yeah, um, hypothetically, how would you, how much would you pay for George Washington's first wedding ring? And this process is so long and confusing and tiring. But when John commands us to test the spirits, to discern between what's true and false in verse one, the process he outlines, it's much simpler than testing the validity of gold in some ring. And you don't even, you don't need a master's degree to discern between what's true and what's false. You don't need to to, uh, call in an expert. You don't even need to know how to translate Greek or Hebrew into English. You don't need to do any of that. Because when it comes to testing the spirits, when it comes to discerning between what's true and what's false, it really comes down to one question. What is their claim about Jesus? That's the question. What is their claim about Jesus? John writes in verse two, this is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. We just talked about the primary strategy of Satan's attack being deception. Here we see the primary subject of his attack, the person of Jesus. And what we see is that in the time and the place that John is writing, the point of deception or uh, the spirit that these false prophets were trying to perpetuate was that Jesus did not actually come in the flesh, but instead had the illusion that he was in the flesh. This is, uh, this is a heresy um, known as docetism, which claims that Jesus's body wasn't human, but instead was some sort of like, um, like phantom or, or celestial substance because God, the God of the universe, could never stoop down to actually become a human and take on human flesh. That was the belief of these false prophets. And let's actually, let's actually entertain that for a second. All right, what would be the problem with Jesus appearing to be in the flesh, but not actually coming in the flesh? What's the problem with that? Well, if Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, then he didn't have a body like, like you, you or I do, which means that he didn't have uh, blood running through his veins. He didn't have a, have a heartbeat that pumps blood to the, to the rest of his body like, like you, you and I do. And if there was no blood running through his veins, there was no heartbeat pumping blood to, to the rest of his body, then his suffering on the cross was only apparent, but not actual. Which means that no blood was actually poured out on the cross if Jesus's body was only an illusion. And why is that a problem? It's a problem because Ephesians chapter three, or chapter two, sorry, tells us that now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. 
If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, then there was no blood poured out on the cross. Then those who are far off will stay far off. But the good news, the gospel is that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He suffered and died on a cross and rose again on the third day so that those who put their faith in the blood and sacrifice of Jesus may have their sins forgiven and be brought near to him. So when discerning and testing the spirits, the question you have to ask is what is their claim about Jesus? What's interesting is that in our time, the main pushback against the claims of Christianity doesn't seem to be docetism, does it? Like whether or not Jesus came in the flesh isn't super debated, but actually the opposite. More people now are pushing back on the biblical idea that Jesus of Nazareth was God. And what's the problem with that? What would be the problem if Jesus was 100% fully man, but not God? We said that if Jesus was fully human, he couldn't accomplish a sacrifice on behalf of us humans. But if Jesus was not God, his sacrifice wouldn't have been sufficient, even if it were on behalf of humanity. It would just be another dude who unjustly suffered and died at the hands of Romans. Jesus must be fully human and fully God to accomplish God's forgiveness on our behalf, which he has. And false spirits have gone out into the world to try and twist and question that claim. So, so though the enemy's argument might be different today, his strategy of deception is the same. And the target of his attacks is the person of Jesus. Now, um, I totally understand if, uh, if these verses about discerning spirits and the antichrist like invoke some level of nervousness or uh, like confusion for you, uh, in you for one reason or another. Uh, but the way that John brings us to the end of, of these verses is both comforting and absolutely expected based on the tone with which he's been writing for this entire letter. He moves from, from charging us to test the spirits to instilling complete confidence in the spirit that believers have already received. He writes, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. By saying the definitive statement, you are from God, John doesn't leave any room, zero room for followers of Jesus to question what they're standing before the father is. He doesn't say you might be from God or I hope you are from God. He says the definitive statement, you are from God. I mean, that statement is the most comforting statement that anybody could say about you that you could possibly hear, right? Like there's nothing that could make you more secure in the world than if someone looked at you and said, you are from God, instilling confidence in who you are. That's the type of confidence and security that John is set out to instill in us. And the reason he starts off the back half of this passage by saying, you are from God. 
But then he says right after that, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Notice this, who is the one who is conquered? Who is the one that conquers? It's you. It's Christians who have denied false spirits and and despite social or lifestyle implications have placed their faith and their hope in Jesus for their salvation. Christians, you have conquered them. But even even when I say that, some days I'm like, me a conqueror? I I am not a conqueror, no chance. But, But check out how you have conquered these false spirits. You've conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Meaning it's not because of your amazing ability to like wield a sword or memorize scripture or share the gospel or your amazing strategic or mental abilities to discern between the spirits. It's because the spirit of the living God that indwelled you the moment that you put your faith in Christ is far greater than the spirit of the antichrist that's in the world that's trying to draw you away from God. That is the reason that we are conquerors. There are, there are lots of times that I think we actually underestimate the enemy's power and influence in our world. Like, I think that's true. But the disparity between the power, the strength and the influence between God and Satan is, is like the disparity between the strength of an elephant and an ant, meaning that it's no contest. I mean, even the most uh, daunting thing the enemy could have like, like taunted you with is death. And what the Bible says is that Jesus even made death to be a gain through his gospel. That's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul can, can like taunt the devil back when he says, oh death, where is your victory? Where did it go? What happened to it? He says, oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So who is the conqueror? It's Christ who has conquered the enemy. And it's you who by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, deny false spirits and their message and hold fast to what is true. More and more though, it seems that holding to biblical truth actually isn't influential and, uh, and doesn't make you popular, but more so the opposite. Whether it's like the exclusivity of salvation through Jesus or the authority of scripture or holding to like the biblical understanding of marriage and sexuality. Um, it feels like being a Christian and holding to, to Christian beliefs makes you unpopular and uninfluential. <laughs> And wouldn't it make sense that if God's spirit was so powerful in comparison to the spirit of deception, that we would see an increasing influence of, social, uh, of Christianity com- compared to a decreasing influence? But the Bible isn't actually concerned about that disparity, but instead anticipates it. Notice how the people following the spirit of the Antichrist are described even in this, in this section. It refers to them as the world. It says that they are from the world, that their, their message is from the world and the world listens to them. And if you're trying to think of like the biggest category of people that you could possibly think of, the world is kind of like the trump card. There is nothing bigger than that. So in saying that the world listens to these messages, 
is saying that there will be lots and lots of people who are enticed and follow these false spirits. But with that being said, God's spirit continually flexes its, his strength over the power of the enemy every time an individual rejects the messages of the world, the influence of the world, and decides to place their faith in Christ as a declaration that they will not be from this world, that they will not listen to this world, but instead will listen to the unchanging, unending good word that God has already declared. So we've kind of explored this passage a lot. I want to take a moment to ask, like, what do we do about this? And I think a, a simple question that all of us, including myself, have to ask ourselves is, what are you listening to? What or who are the primary influences in your life? Because uh, we, we, we have already mentioned it, but the reality of our world is that the volume of messages and podcasts and talks and influencers that you have access to is higher now than it ever has been before in the history of humanity. And it will only increase. Now you can have 50 different opinions on 50 different topics on 50 different podcasts every single day of the week. Anybody, no matter who you are, you can post videos with your take or your message or your opinion online for anybody and everybody to see. And here's the thing, we eat it up. We consume it relentlessly. I mean, uh, I, went to, I went to the store the other week. This is a real story that makes me only look a little bad. Um, I went to the store the last week uh, for like two items, it's like bread and milk. That's all I needed. And before I went into the store, I, I was like, all right, gotta grab my AirPods, put them in my ears and turn on a podcast. For five minutes that I was at the store, I was more concerned about, about listening to the messages that I wanted to listen to or the podcast that I wanted to listen to than being present with where I was at. And I'm sure that if you were to look around like Hy-Vee or, or the, the stores that you go to, there would be lots of people in the same boat as me. I mean, uh, even like the, the screen time on your phone, which I, I think probably you got a notification for during the service, uh, is an indication of the number and volume of messages that you're consuming on a daily basis. But listen, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But you should know that even now, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And when you increase the volume and number of people you're listening to, the likelihood that you will be exposed to spiritual claims that are false greatly increases as well. Which means that you also have to grow exponentially more in discerning about the messages you listen to, the content you consume, and the things that you believe. So maybe in your attempt to, to grow in discernment leaving today, your first step is to simply evaluate who or what you're listening to and what or who has the most spiritual influence in your life. But how then do you discern, you look at the things that you're consuming, how do you discern whether or not those things are, are good or bad, true or false? That's the big question. And we already kind of mentioned the litmus test uh, that, that John lays out and asking the question, what is their claim about Jesus? But if even that leaves you a little blurry, John also says, we are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. 
anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. Initially, that feels a little bit snooty from John. Like, you're really gonna like just say, anybody who's from God is gonna listen to me. And if anybody makes that claim to you on the street, you should turn the other way and run because that is not how this works. But what John is saying is that the authority of the message that he's writing with is built on a foundation of reliability. John's message is built on a foundation of reliability. I'm gonna uh, bring us back to the first few words that John wrote in this letter to kind of show you again, what the uh, type of authority and, and uh, perspective that John has. In, ver- in 1 John 1, 1, he says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed. And we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel message that Christians confess and the spirit of truth in which we claim is not based on one one person's thoughts or opinions on a certain event but is built on the foundation of reliability passed down from the very first people that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. John was one of over 500 people who saw the risen Christ and proclaimed that he who once was dead is now alive again. And that by faith in his sacrifice and risen body, you might have eternal life with him. That gospel message and the purity of that message has been preserved through this book through the Bible. Um, and you only need to log on to social media for about three minutes to get some spicy hot takes about this. <laughs> um, and I'm not here to like refute all the attacks on, on the Bible or like address all the pushbacks that you might have. I just actually wanna tell you what we believe about the Bible here at Candeo. Um, so we believe that, that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, sufficient and authoritative word of God. I'll say that again. We believe here at Candeo that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, sufficient and authoritative word of God. That's why everything we do here from reading scripture before we sing to have preaching from the Bible every single week is centered around this book. Now those, those aren't common words, obviously. So um, let me briefly explain what each of them mean. We'll kind of go through them really quick. Um, And all of these are connected back to, this is where we get our truth from. We believe the Bible Bible is inspired, meaning that, that we believe that it was God himself who wrote this book through men enabled by God, the Holy Spirit to to carry on the message to the next generation. We believe that the Bible is inerrant, which means that it's without error and that whatever God has written inside of this book, he means. We believe that it's sufficient or that everything we need in order to know God and know his salvation through Jesus is contained in this book. And lastly, we believe that the Bible is authoritative, meaning that truth and what is true can be found in it. It it functions with the authority that God's own words do. So if you're discerning between the spirits, if you're trying to discern with what is true and what's false, This book, the Bible, should be the first place that you 
go to to try and discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Because John writes, anyone who knows God listens to us. And the way that we listen to people like John, the original observers who, who heard, felt, saw, experienced the resurrection of Jesus and laid the foundation of reliability for generations to come is by looking to this book for what is true. It's true, it's reliable, and it, in it is all you need to know God and know his heart for you. So in a, in a world where you are bombarded by thousands and thousands of messages from thousands of different places, we are charged to have discernment between what is true and what's false. It's of the utmost importance and has massive consequences for you to be able to do that. But... Even in the midst of false prophets with deceiving messages going out into the world, Christian, hear this, you are from God. And the spirit that's in you is far greater than the spirit that's in the world that is coming after your soul. This message that we've received about the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus in our place for our sin is built on the foundation of reliability and passed down through generations through the pages of scripture, so that we might know him who brought us out of darkness and into his life. In the gospel, Jesus tells, tells Peter that on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never overcome it. And that's true today, that no matter the message or the attacks of Satan on, on, on Christ's church or his people, the gates of hell will never overcome what God is building through his people. And so Christian, you can be confident in that. You can put your hope in that and you can be secure in, in that claim, there is truth. So let me pray for us. King Jesus, you are the way, the truth and the life. In you is eternal life, life with the father forever. And God, you've allowed us to know you and know the power of your salvation through you, Jesus. In a world where there are messages and attacks coming at us from every side, Lord, I pray that you would provide protection for us, discernment between what's true and what's false, Lord. Would we rely on you, Jesus, in every situation of our lives? Lord God, we're grateful for the cross that, that you are both fully human and fully God, that you can both accomplish salvation, but also accomplish salvation on our behalf, Lord. We hold on to that truth. We proclaim that truth and we find our greatest hope and our greatest joy in that truth this morning, Lord. So would we respond in worship? Would we respond with thankfulness in what you've already done for us, Lord? Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.